We start this month and our theme of story. I begin with belief, articulating what is most dear. And my first encounter with articulating uh, my sense of faith it started pretty quietly in some ways with a poster at church. Now, I must have been about 13 or 14 years old. Uh, I was deep in the congregational life uh, where I grew up at the Univer Unitarian Universalist Church in Worcester, Massachusetts. I had bonded with the congregation when I was about eight. I mean, I was in. These people were my people. I had an embodied sense of being part of the faith and part of the congregation. I also wanted to feel more able to share kind of the good stuff of my experience with other people, with my classmates, if it came up. But I didn't always know how to summarize my values and beliefs when asked or on occasion confronted. So I sought guidance from the congregation. I, I wanted something official, you know, some kind of statement that was endorsed by the adults. I needed words to speak to what we shared uh, that would serve as a platform for talking with my friends, helping me be confident that I could respond. For example, when a classmate called me a heathen. And I really wanted talking points to promote the good stuff that informed my life and who, was, who I was becoming. So I walk into church one day and I see this poster. And it said, we, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, do covenant to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth, and the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, and on and on, all those seven great principles. And this poster, it also was appealing. It was on a peachy tan paper, dark lettering. It was in script, it was elegant, it was well-designed, it looked real. And it was on the wall of the church as I entered the main door. At the moment that I needed one, here was an answer. Now I knew these weren't the only words. There's no fixed expression or definition of faith in Unitarian Universalism, no one was going to demand that I abide by them. That much I certainly knew in congregational life. And with these words, I felt equipped. I felt I could be in the world as a Unitarian Universalist and have a solid location. But these words, I felt more invested this is who I am. This is who we are. I claim this and it claims me. In faith development, there is an early moment when we have wandered and wondered and lived and practiced. We've been testing and wanting and exploring and then choosing, naming. We've been claiming, uh, we've caught and absorbed the priorities often of those around us, and agreed. You know, I'm in. As time goes on, humans have more than one instance, usually, of wondering and questioning and claiming as well. Uh, 
For many of us, this cycle repeats again and again. I know those of us who found Unitarian Universalism as adults uh, certainly have this experience in spades. I recognize the significance uh, of these, uh, these seven principles have for so many of folks I've spoken with in this congregation and also in all of my experience who may have encountered one or all of these principles and some, something inside said, yes, inherent worth, that we're all part of a web of existence. There is a search for truth and meaning and so much more. But what's also true is that these principles were, were written. They have a beginning. And it's not necessarily far, as far back as one might think. Uh, these come from the 1980s. They, these principles didn't exist. Uh, you know, in some ways, they didn't exist before I encountered them uh, for very long. In, in one sense, that poster was brand new. Uh, it was new in the faith as well as in the church. Members of, the of congregations all over the country had gone through a multi-year process of writing and discussing and voting and finally approving them in 1985, and they showed up in our churches after that. These principles have been with us for over 30 years. And before that, there was another statement that kind of uh, was defined another set of principles, six principles, that defined the Unitarian Universalist Association at its beginning in 1961. Uh, that list of statements, um, it started with the free and disciplined search for truth as a foundation for our religious fellowship. There was individual dignity in those principles as well, also world of justice and peace, relations between congregations being a priority, all the so many pieces of our current principles were found in those earlier six. And before 1961, the American Unitarian Association and the Universalist Church of America, they each had their own declarations of values and core statements as well. We keep reviewing and revising in every age. Now, these seven principles uh, that we have now they are one of the most common and accessible ways to talk about Unitarian Universalism. They weren't meant to be the, fin the definitive final word either. They've held up pretty well. We've debated, we've argued, we've disagreed. Some folks have definitely come to the place of, of profound uh, other ways of understanding inherent worth, for example. I still return to them. Uh, even at this point in ministry, I know many of you do as well. We kind of pick up on a phrase or two, kind of bringing it out as learned poetry, as a little bit of, of scripture, if you will, to evoke, to call in uh, as a reminder of covenant, as a reminder of our profound promises, and, and as a common language to help us remember that we are not alone in our liberal religious effort. But the practice of them is a constant practice as well. In living with them, we've had more chance to consider them uh, and where to go from here 
because the practice and the exploration, that keeps going. So I want to talk about uh, part of that exploration. Um, I want to talk about the effort to add another principle, an eighth principle. So I will say at the outset, uh, we're not under any particular schedule to consider and to rush and to vote. Um, we've yet to have a, a, a plan, for example, for officially bringing this to the congregation. We have a chance at this point to learn and engage for ourselves. Congregations across the country are taking up the question of reviewing the principles and adding one more. And it's important to begin now as this congregation continues and expands racial justice work and as we prepare to participate in the annual meeting of Unitarian Versalists across the country at our annual gathering, our General Assembly in June. Let me say a little bit about the origin of where this eighth principle comes from. About 10 years ago, there seemed to be a real need for something more. Paula Cole Jones uh, is on the staff of the Mid-Atlantic area in our association. And as an African-American woman and as a, in her role as director of racial and social justice, uh, Paula worked with all kinds of congregations uh, and drew on a combination of the seven principles and a sense of the beloved community. You know, how do we create a more whole world? And she found, uh, in all of her, in her years of work, she found that people could be entirely consistent with being a good UU, if you would, a good UU, um, and being entirely in line with our seven principles without directly adjusting directly addressing uh, racial injustice or forms of oppression on a larger systemic scale. So she started a conversation with folks from her region and the eighth principle came into being in 2013. Uh, at that time, the Unitary Universalist Church of the Restoration in Philadelphia adopted this eighth principle into their covenant. And in 2017, they adopted it formally as an addition to their list of principles and recommended that the UUA do so as well. So here I say again, the eighth principle. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. Now, since 2017, congregations across the country have been studying this eighth principle. Many have added it to their own public statements. Uh, members and friends of this congregation are beginning to work with this principle uh, as we continue our racial and social justice uh, efforts uh, following on the study just completed of widening the circle of concern. So it's beginning to show up among us. The seven principles that we already have, already are approved and have had for quite some time, they cover so much. Uh, the individual and the universal, our search, our desire for justice, our hope for peace, and living in a world community. Just three of those, you know, valuing the individual, 
understanding our relationship with all that is, and being open to new truth, those three are essential theological claims, part of what helps define us. And at the same time, there are some things that need additional focus, in this case, race. As congregations who benefit from white privilege work on race and oppression can be an option, a choice. But for so many of us in our congregations and in our society, bias is a daily reality, not a choice. In a country that's structured around the benefits of racism, it's time to actively address those structures and find other ways. Doing so, doing this work, is certainly fulfilling the potential of our principles. And doing so with the eighth principle kind of right in front of us helps keep it also on the page, helps make sure that we, are, we keep using this as our lens. I want to offer uh, another way that the eighth principle is phrased, um, as we've done a little bit with rephrasing the seven principles for different ages. Um, another way to think of the eighth principle is, we promise to build a safe and welcoming community free of racism and oppression. That's the heart of it. We promise to build a safe and welcoming community free of racism and oppression. And we can enter into this work now, not just because other congregations are doing so and because this is a conversation of our faith, but we are also in this moment of getting ready for the next chapter in our, in our social lives, in our lives in this next chapter from the pandemic. And answer that question of what kind of country do we want to be? In this past year, we've had terrible new lessons about race and class and health, life and death questions, who has access to wealth and health care, who gets justice, who is actively harmed or killed in the normal that was, and who is actively harmed or killed in the normal that continues. For example, in the same hour as George Floyd's murderer heard uh, the guilty verdict Police shot and killed a black teenage girl who had called them for help. What shall our new normal be like? We have a chance to take to heart the commitment and opportunity to shift systems and fulfill our mission. This month's theme is story. And these questions about principles is our story. We begin with our ethical, principled, moral work. And the practice gets to be a spiritual one as well. As Rebecca Parker makes an essential point about why anti-racism is spiritual work. She says, this is my country. Love calls me beyond denial and disassociation. It is not enough to think of racism as a problem of human relations to be cured by me and others like me, treating everyone fairly, with respect and without prejudice. Racism is more. It is a problem of segregated knowledge, mystification of facts, anesthetization of feeling, exploitation of people, and violence against the common, the community of our humanity. She goes on, my commitment to racial justice is both on behalf of the neighbor 
uh, my neighbor whose well-being I desire, and for myself, to whom the gift of life has been given, yet not fully claimed. I struggle neither as a benevolent act of social concern nor as a repentant act of shame and guilt, but, but as an act of desire for life, a passion for life, of an insistence for life, fueled by both love and anger in the face of violence that divides human flesh. I, I am in the work because I am engaged with life. That's the story I want to tell. That's the story that comes out of these conversations. I am fully part of and a participant in this world, and I know that matters to you too. And those seven principles, seeing them called me into life, this possibility of the eighth moves that forward that much more. These principles, the seven that have been with us since the 1980s, served as a foundation and an aspiration for so many of our values. They have been an outward sign to calling people to yes. And that yes also evolves as we practice and live what is most dear and pay attention to the struggles that are real with us, with our neighbors, and with all of our fellow humans. As we offer our best selves to create a more just, more compassionate, and more peaceful world, another principle, this principle, this eighth one, can help us name and claim that anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural community that can be, that could be, that we want it to be. There will be more to hear and learn and ponder on the way. But let this be our beginning, to be called back into life after so many months of separation and despair. Let us let it be a calling back for that, but also because this is our work. This helps us fulfill our mission, helps us fulfill our promises, to meet those promises that we've been making for so long, that have come from so long ago, and that continue we get to continue them forward into the future. So let us begin. Amen. And our closing hymn is Shine On Me. Melanie Damore invites us into restoration to take in the light and the love around us from all the sources in our lives. I invite you to enter into a yes for our hymn, Shine On